everyone! Before we start, I wanted to let you know, if you would like to watch our whole service, head to our website, that's dc2.me, and from the media drop-down, click Sermons. You can watch our whole service there. And now, here's this week's sermon. Today's teaching is anchored in John chapter 21, verse 15. And it goes like this. When they had finished breakfast... Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter felt hurt because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep very truly, I tell you. When you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you'll stretch out your hands Someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which he would glorify God. And after this, he said to him, follow me. Good morning, Discovery. My name is Zach. I'm one of the pastors here. And we are in the midst of this sermon series talking about stages of spiritual growth. And as I was thinking about today, I had this memory was, has just been stuck in my mind. Oop. We okay? Yeah, there it is. Stuck in my mind all week. Uh, my oldest son, Brogan, when he was in about fourth or fifth grade, I just, I have this distinct memory. It was so profound for me for some reason. We were sitting at lunch at our, at our kitchen table, and I look over, and Brogan is just like laughing at something. But like all of, this is so weird, all of his, I could see all of his teeth. <laughs> it's such a strange memory. And I just remember that point in time, right around that age, kids have all of their adult front teeth and all of their adult bottom teeth. And in this moment, again, so strange, I just find myself going, I'm going to be looking at that smile for the rest of my life. And I'm so delighted. And I'm so intrigued to see what will be the face of the man that those teeth will be in someday, but that smile won't change. And I don't know if he caught me, but it was like this long lingering, like all of a sudden you start waxing philosophical in front of your soup you know, like you do. But as I was thinking about that this week, um, that was actually spurred on by another memory of something that happened with my youngest son, Oaks. And we actually shot a, a very short documentary. I'd love to share it with you now. Check it out here. So what were you just telling me, buddy? It's bleeding. It's bleeding. It hurts. Show me how you wiggle it. Yeah, here. Put your hand down, move it with your tongue. Oh yeah, look at that thing. It's like poking clean sideways out of your mouth. Are you worried about losing it? Yeah. What are you worried about? It's gonna hurt. It's gonna hurt. That face. Look at that face, the little booger trail coming out of his son's nose. Look at that guy, man. This is his first tooth. This kid has never lost a tooth before. All week, and this was this week, this whole week long, he just, 
you know, like you do and just wiggling it, like it hurts. And what do I do? And talking with his older brothers and they're like coaching him through like, hey man, don't even sweat it. And he's like, you don't sweat it. You're not bleeding out of your face. Like you don't understand what's going on. It was a hard week for him. And I think at a, at a pretty cellular level as human beings, I don't know if you remember losing your first few teeth, but there is this sense of like, then what happens? Like some people say that a new one's going to grow in its place. All I see is that this one's going to fall out and this is all I've ever known. I'm panicking. <laughs> What's going to happen? And it hurts. And I, I think it's so instructional as we think through what are stages of spiritual development that there are some stages where it's like losing your teeth. Stages where you know that fear and doubt and loss are parts of maturing. They're not parts of backsliding, but man, sometimes those stages just hurt. And it can, it can feel like backsliding, like I'm about to lose something, something that's been a part of who I am, something that's been part of how I identify myself, and I'm losing it. What's going to happen to me now? As we jump into today, I, I just I want to capture for us that we all have time when life hurts. What do we do? Do we consider it lost? Do we consider our lives broken? Do we think that we're done for? As we review this series that we're in, I, I love this series because I think there's so many people and so many churches and places, and even in my own story, where it just seems like, what does it mean to follow Jesus? And people go, well... Uh, if, you, if you decide that Jesus really is the, is the person that you want to follow, if he's going to be the leader of your life, I mean, like, like, go to church and read your Bible and pray. Oh, get baptized and serve. Serve, 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 serve. And then wait for Jesus to come back. And all of that is really, really good. But what if there's more? What if there are ways to understand, man, there is a process laid out in front of me that the moment I choose to start following Jesus, it's not like stepping over a line and saying, well, once I was there, but now I'm here. But it's really like taking steps on a journey. Once I was over that way, but now I'm here and I'm moving this way, and I don't totally know what's over that way. I kind of remember what was over here. I'm in process. But what is that process? Is that something that for each individual, it's just so unique that there's no way to know what's going to happen? What if there are ways to know? Like, hey, this might be what's coming for me next. And what if for the folks that we love and lead, whether those are our kids, people that we mentor, that we could also encourage them like, hey, man, where you're at in life right now, this is exactly where you are, and that's exactly where you should be. Let me paint a picture for what's coming next, but man, let's like not hurry through this. This is important and it matters. We got into this series with Jen Diebel, one of our elders. Am I right? Like, holy smokes. If you were here for that sermon, that was just, Jen, Jen's one of our elders. If you ever wonder, like, is this church led by sharp people? Just watch that sermon. Holy cow. But Jen gave a fantastic overview of here's all of these stages of development. And since then, we've been taking one step at a time. Jake Brown, stage two, a couple weeks ago, am I right? Like, Jake did such a great job of helping us understand there's this moment where you say, okay, I'm growing in a faith. I'm, I'm growing as a follower of Jesus. And the community that you're a part of becomes so important, particularly the people who are taking you by the hand and saying, let me help you grow. Let me help you understand some things. Discipleship is the church Christian word for this, but this is just mentoring at its finest. 
There's a stage in your spiritual life where a relationship becomes part of the way that you grow. It's beautiful. So many people miss that stage. And that will remain a stunted part in their story until they have it. Man, if you don't, if, if you could look back on your story and go, I can't think of a single person that actually helped me grow in my faith. That might be something worth paying attention to because that's going to keep showing up in later parts of your story. Jake did a great job. Stage three, last week, if you were here, my friend Lauren did a great job of, of talking through this stage where as I'm discipled, as I'm being grown up, as I'm learning, what is this whole idea of scripture and how do I hold that? What does it mean to pray that there is this necessary step that comes of, now go serve. Like you've been given these gifts. You have been equipped to do something in the kingdom of heaven. God chose you to be on his team. Get out there, man. Get on the field. Go play. Use what you've been given. Oh, it's so good. That's a stage in development of your spiritual life. If you're sitting here going, man, I've actually never served in the church or in the world, just in general. Man, no, that invitation is open and it is sweet. Giving your life away is the most ironically, life, oop, ironically life-giving thing ever. Now, that's where we start to hit some issues because I think there's a big problem in the Western church, the capital C church that we are in today. We are systematically built to get folks to stage three in the church. Maybe there's some tolerance for stage four, but the organization of the church, what happens on a typical Sunday morning, takes so much human power that to do church that often, a staff is built out of fantastic recruiters who are great at motivating people to serve. And when the serving ends, but when, the, when that serving is an ends and not a means to an end, we're in trouble. When our view of church is, this is a place where I go and we serve and we're trying to put on this big production all the time, man, we're built perfectly for stage three. But what happens when there starts to become some friction if you've been in or around faith very long or often, frankly, if you've even watched it from a distance, the organization of the church can be exhausting. There has to be more to the spiritual life than just serving. Serving is so good. I hope that no matter how old you get, there are always places in the world where your heart breaks and you say, I must step into those places to be the light touch of the healing of Jesus. Serving is good. But what happens when there's questions? What happens when those questions are hard? What happens when we need just to cry about things that we're losing? Where's the mystery? Where's something deeper? And we hit a point where as we continue to learn and love and grow, we begin to think critically about the grandeur of God. And to be honest, despite the best efforts of people, the church is still led by human beings. And those human beings don't always nail it. God is mysterious. He's complicated. At some point, you begin brushing up against that. And no matter how good your mentors were in stage two, and no matter how good of a fit it was in the places where you've chosen to serve, it's such a big story that at some point you just start asking questions. Whether life circumstances are causing those questions to come up, 
the community that surrounds you is causing those questions to come up. Maybe it was a moving away to a college or just coming in with a new group of friends, changes in family, or even engaging with a tragedy and with suffering. You can just find yourself asking questions. For those of you that have bumped into stage four, maybe you're in or through stage four, maybe your questions were some things like these. There are places in the Bible where it disagrees with itself. What do I do with that? Evolution and creation, are they mutually exclusive? And if so, what am I supposed to do here? The book of Isaiah covers 200 years of history. That can't be written by one person. But then who wrote it? Can we trust it? Can we trust the Bible? And on that note, if culture and experience are a part of the way that we interpret the Bible, doesn't that make it all relative anyways? Maybe it's more systematic than that for you. Maybe you go, man, church history, the more I'm learning about it through my mentor, through serving, through being at church, it's just disgusting to study. The things that it's done to minorities, to women, to science and truth, to freedom, to the poor, all in the name of the church. Why would I want to align with that? Maybe it's more personal. I prayed, like I really prayed, but I got nothing. And this God who says that he's love, if he cared, there's just no way that he would have left me hanging there. Or maybe it's something even harder, I would say. Maybe your questions are something like this. No matter how hard I try, I just can't seem to fix what's wrong with me. I pray, I read, I practice spiritual disciplines, I serve, but it's just there. I can't get away from it. Maybe I'm just not cut out for this spiritual life. Welcome to stage four. Stage four is the beginning of asking questions, of thinking critically, of taking what you've been taught and beginning to now make it your own. And for many, we find like it, it's like baby teeth. What I started out with, at some point, I just feel like there are parts that I'm starting to lose. They're getting wiggly. They're hurting a bit. I can even taste blood. Something is definitely wrong. Some refer to stage four as the wall or the place where simply being told serve more is actually, uh, uh, excuse me, some refer to stage four as the wall or the place where simply being told to serve more isn't cutting it anymore. In fact, for many, we can become resentful of serving because it takes time away from us to sit with our mentors, to sit with our questions, time away from the space that we need to process. This is often seen as a difficult stage or even as a wall where we find ourselves doing the same things we've always done and parroting the same answers we've always had and finding ourselves in a spiritual season that is dry and small and ill-fitting. And if we wonder and we begin wondering if we've outgrown faith altogether. But I think there's hope in the midst of this. For some, this is an incredibly gentle process. You're just really good at leaning in to questions. For some, this is really disorienting. In that first week, and this has come up every week since, Jen had this chart that I just thought was so absolutely amazing. This is broken down by what stage you're in by your ages here at the bottom. So go ahead and find your age real quick. 
And then, because today we're talking about stage four, Joe, give me that next one. This is where stage four shows up in each of these age ranges. One thing that I think is just so interesting, and Jen pointed this out, and this has come up a few times, there are people who never get to stage four ever. And it's like not like a couple percentage, it's like a chunk of people. Some people will spend their whole lives taking the answers that they were given and the motions that they were given to go through, and they will never question those things. I am more prone to be like, dang, what a loss. I was sitting with my spiritual director a couple weeks ago, and we were talking about some of this stuff, and she said, yeah, that's just so great. I was like, what are you, Debbie, what are you talking about? Like, that's not great. Everybody should be at a six by the time they die. Maybe seven. Is there a seven? We should get to seven. Enneagram three over here. She goes, it's so great. For some people, that's exactly what they were built for. And they're just doing it. That's refreshing. I, I did push back a little bit. And I said, some people, I think, are just afraid to grow. <laughs> she also said that that was okay. So we both won. That was fun. <laughs> but the other thing, too, that I think is so interesting, give me that last slide there on this, Joe. Only 30% of folks, really in each of these decades of life, move past this. So for so many people, I mean, from the ages of 41 to 50, over half of the population would say, I'm just asking questions. I'm just thinking about stuff. I'm really wrestling with what I was given. It's just so interesting to know, like, man, there's a, there's a lot of us in this room who this is the stage, this is one of those sermons that this whole series, this was built for you today, what we're talking about. Man, I hope it just, I hope as you're sitting in your seat, like, just like reading my journal right now. This is an important stage to go through. And I want to just double down on this line that doubt and loss, they are a part of maturing. They are not a sign of backsliding. Let's get back into our text for today. If you have your Bibles, again, we're in John 21. Let me read this one more time for us, and we're going to break it down. It goes like this. When they'd finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, you Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter felt hurt because he said it to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now, for those of you that are familiar with this passage, I don't want you to miss that like, so often that's a teaching that's done of like, okay, so let's talk about how Jesus just did that three times. But this last time he says, feed my sheep, and then he goes right in to this next thing that we're going to read together. Almost like this is the point that Jesus has been trying to make. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which he would glorify God. And after this, he said to him, follow me. This is John 21. 
Like there's one more thing that's going to happen. Peter's going to like freak out right after this and be like, well, John's over here. Like, God, what do you have? Do you have anything hard to say to John? And, and, and Jesus is like, nope. The end. Like that's the end of the book of John. John is this incredible poet. He's written this like absolutely mind-blowing piece. And the last thing that he's going to end with is when you were young, you dressed yourself and you went wherever you wanted. When you're old, you're not going to. The end. Like, what is John doing? And it's, this is not just a story with the way that any of these gospels, that, that most of the New Testament, Old Testament is written. It's not just saying, here's stories that happened once upon a time. These were things that were written down so that you and I, as the reader, John is writing this going, man, what do I, as I finish, what do I want people to know? What's like the one thing, if Jesus gave these parting words to Peter, would he give them to us? Yes, that goes right at the end. The end. What is it that John is so bent on us understanding here? (laughs) This is just such a strange way to end a beautiful story. And he's basically saying, you used to be in control. You used to have the answers. You did what you wanted but the time is coming when you won't have control. You won't have the answers. You'll do things you don't want to do. And again, I think it's so crucial, like Debbie's words are ringing in my mind. Jesus isn't condemning Peter's prior stage of life. He's not saying that was so immature. I can't believe that you used to be that way. He's just saying it plain and simple. When you were young, you used to live this way. Now he just seems to be saying at the end of the book of John, I'm getting ready to show you something more. It's stage theory. Jesus is setting up the idea this whole sermon series is built around. Now, it's also worth noting that while this may make total sense to us, this whole idea of like, well, yeah, when you're young, you dress yourself. When you're old, you go to a retirement home, and eventually you lose your faculties, and somebody else has to dress you, and they take you around in your wheelchair. wherever. Like, that makes sense to us. The problem is that that's not Peter's story. And like, it's, it's even so explicit. It says in verse 19, Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death which he would glorify God, which Peter would glorify. So Jesus knows, and at this point we can assume John also knows the outcome of Peter's story. Peter did not end up in a retirement home. Peter did not die of old age. Peter died a martyr's death. Probably in his early 60s, he was imprisoned. He was crucified upside down. That's how this dude died. Jesus, knowing all this, is telling this story. It's not, like His point is not, hey, someday you're going to be old. That's not the point that he's trying to make. But what's going on here? Let's break it down a little bit more. You put on your own belt. It's this basic idea, especially in Middle Eastern culture, you dress yourself. What does that mean when you dress yourself? Well, it means that you put on what makes you comfortable, that you have control over how the world sees you. It assumes that you know what's, what's in store for the day, what the weather's going to be like, what you're going to need. What does it mean when it says you used to go where you wanted? It's autonomy. It's independence. It's willfulness. Maybe even a little bit of selfishness. John goes so far as to explicitly say that Jesus is speaking about the kind of death that Peter would die. And by extension, John is also gazing into the eyes of his reader. You too, used to have control. But now, if you said yes to this story, you will be called to something more. 
you will have times in your life that will feel young and exciting and dress yourself, go where you want to go, seasons of life. But if you say yes to this, the last words that he says to Peter in this last teaching in the book of John are, follow me. If you're in for that reader, man, there's going to be a time that comes where you won't dress yourself, where you're going to be going to places that you don't want to go. And if you're reading this like I read this, this feels like a massive demotion. Like Jesus is just setting Peter up to be like, get ready for disappointment. Like, welcome to life. Life sucks and then you die. Is that what's going on here in this story? Because it seems like Jesus just saying or that, that Peter would be hearing, like, I used to have control, but now I won't. And this for sure violates our Western mindset. This pie in your spirit, this can-do attitude. It sounds like death. Something in us stirs and says, this can't be right. That following Jesus, that someday I'm not going to be able to dress myself or go where I want to go. Some of this is simple biology, but you can't outrun this. But what if doubt and loss are parts of maturing and not backsliding? I think what Jesus is doing here is a call to something higher. He's saying to Peter in this moment, you used to follow me out of a kind of devotion like that, but I'm leading you to understand something more like this. I'm calling you to a mature faith, one that is liberated from having to figure out what you want to wear, how you want to be seen in the world. You don't have to worry about that anymore. Just simply trust God to provide what you need. Trust God to be seen through you. I'm calling you to a mature faith, Peter, one that is directed not by your own wants and desires, but that, that are now lovingly directed by a Father God who loves you and has a particular direction that will be the most meaningful and the most purposeful and the most fulfilling. But there will be a change in you. It may feel like losing your ability to choose. It may mean being disoriented. It, it may feel more like groping in the dark as you continue to seek God rather than a feeling like you've always had the answers and know exactly what to do. But this, this is mature faith. I am developing something even deeper in you. And at the end, when Jesus says, follow me, oh, it's so robust. It's not just a simple statement. He's saying, look, Peter, I just said something hard to you, but I've been living this life myself. I didn't get to dress myself. I've done things I didn't want to do. This is a Jesus who is fresh off the cross, hot fresh out of the tomb. He's cooking fish for his friends on the side of the beach as they're trying to figure out what to do with their lives now. And Jesus is now calling Peter and all of these young men back. And what's the last line that he delivers through his death and resurrection? Follow me. <sighs> Doubt and loss are parts of maturing, not backsliding. Jesus is saying this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. This kind of life, this seems to be what God is after. 
Some folks bounce or avoid stage four as hard as they can. But what if we were in a culture that embraced it? It can be an external stage four, things that I'm just wrestling with in the world, questions that I have about how things work. It can be internal. I'm really wrestling with how me, as an individual, how do I actually fit in because I don't know that I do. This God of love and absolute grace, I just can't seem to evoke that same thing out of myself. Maybe I can't do this. Culturally, we recoil against anything that looks like death. So we experience doubt and we recoil. So many people leave the faith and real spirituality because they begin bumping into stage four. And this isn't necessarily just a spiritual thing, although, but I, th- I think these next two examples are just, they're so clear. Like you just, you can see it so clearly. What does this look like in midlife? <laughs> I'm there right now, I think, I hope, I hope I'm there. We're exhausted for those of us that are in midlife. The world tells us that something's wrong and you got to get in the gym. You better feel like a million bucks. You better go, go, go all the time. I'm tired, man. (laughs) There's a lot going on in my life. I don't even know where I would put that in my calendar right now. It's a good thing. Shouldn't I be able to do good things? We're tired from commitments to good things, of fulfilling things. It's actually good and right to be tired in this season of life. I've I've got kids that I love, and I've got a marriage that I love. Those things take time and energy, and that's just my house. There are other things I'm involved in, and they are so important. Why am I tired all the time? Because I'm in a season of life, like so many of you, where I'm doing really good things, but I have a commitment to those things. There's responsibility that comes with that commitment. And when the world around comes in to indict my lifestyle, it finds me wanting because there are things that I am not able to do because of my commitments, because of my level of tiredness, and we're built culturally then to go, man, something must be wrong. And I think as we look into stage theories like this, you start to just relax a little bit and be like, no, that's messed up. I should be exactly where I'm at. Don't recoil just because I look tired. That doesn't mean that something's wrong with my life actually might just be a sign of overwhelming health for where I'm at. What about marriages or long-time friendships? I don't know if you've experienced this in a, in a deep, long friendship in a marriage, but people change. Your spouse changes, that friend changes, how you feel about that person changes, or how you feel about the relationship, it changes. And the world tells us, man, something's wrong. It's like this little baby tooth. Like, if that's starting to wiggle, oh no, watch out. Uncertainty is insecure. But faithfulness, commitment, man, that's what makes these things meaningful. And on that note, what is love? If, if love just remains this little baby tooth meaning of I like how you make me feel, man, we're in trouble. If love becomes something more, if love as you grow becomes a I will choose to sacrifice for your sake regardless of your response, I think that baby tooth got popped out and I think maybe something new is starting to grow in its place that's a little bit more robust. 
We grow simply by hanging in the doubt and the loss of what has been to embrace and celebrate the thing that is becoming. This is how life is built, both externally, biologically, spiritually. This is why this sermon series and and all of this, it matters to all of us, every single one of us, regardless of which stage you're in, so that when you encounter friends and family in a stage like stage four, you can help them know it's part of a process. It doesn't mean like, man, hit the ejection button as fast as you can and get out of there. Something's wrong with you or something's wrong with that, but either way, it can't be good. Hang in. Ask your questions. Bring your doubts. It's okay. It's not a departure from faith. It is a maturing further in, not a backsliding. I long to be a part of a church that's filled with mature people. People who are okay with mystery and uncertainty. People who are absolutely resolved in their faith, but who hold their faith in the tensions of real life people who don't claim to have a detailed map as much as they claim to know and listen to the navigator. If you define church as what happens on Sunday mornings, you have immediately set a ceiling for yourself of stage three, maybe a stage four kind of life. I would love to think that Discovery is one of those churches that says, hey, we're great with stage four. But if that's all it is, it's just Sunday mornings, I just want you to know there's a line that you will really struggle to go grow above. I get so broken up by the fact that so many people hit stage four and because they haven't had a model that it's an attack on their faith, that they haven't seen someone more mature walk through this season of life, they assume that it's bad and they actually stop going to church. And they stop pursuing God. And they assume that an orthodox religion just can't work for them. And they bounce. But what if this is a season to be embraced? What if it's not a signal that you're losing something, but rather a signal that you're gaining something? What if you could just settle in because you are rest assured that you're right on track? There's more teeth that are going to grow in that tooth place. It was just a baby tooth. Something more is coming. I just got to wait. You're going to need a guide. Bonus points if you have one before you reach stage four. And if you've already given someone both the trust and permission to speak back in your life, man, you're just right on track. But if you think that you can navigate stage four without a stage two type of mentor, man, you're just stacking the cards against yourself. No matter what stage you're in right now, I hope, and this will continue to be thematic for us as a church, Who is pouring into your life? And if it's just Sunday mornings, know that there's a ceiling. But if there is an individual, particularly an individual who's further along the stage than you are, man, you've got somebody to really look at, somebody who can really speak into you, somebody who can say, hey, man, don't freak out. It's going to be okay. If you're going to mature past this, If your spiritual life will flourish, it will not be because you choose to leave the church. It will be because you choose to redefine what the church is. Is it a service from an organization on a Sunday morning? Or is it a network of familial relationships where we are caring for those who are younger than us, 
helping grow and nurture them? And is it those who are younger saying, I have enough humility to know that I am not fully formed and I'm not done yet and I need help from those that are older helping me grow? For those who are past this stage of stage four, I just want you to know you're needed so badly. We're losing so many in their faith because your story isn't being shared. If you feel like, yeah, I, I've been through this stage, I know that stage familiar, like it doesn't mean that you've resolved all the questions, you got it all figured out now, but man, there's just people, like young people, hitting stage four. They need to know you, and they need to know the comfort that it can be okay on the other side of whatever it is that they're asking. One quick note here too. Some people will refer to this as a dark night of the soul. I just really want to briefly address this. I, I think that statement, a dark night of the soul for stage four, really misunderstands what a dark night of the soul is. That seems like something that's going to come more in like a stage five or stage six. That it's known, it, it comes out of this place of this known and experienced intimacy that's shifting rather than the stage four season where you're simply reconstructing something grander than what you were initially given. So, how do people engage stage four? Here's some things that, as I've thought through this week, like here's how I've seen in my own story or in the story of people around me how they do it. First step, you can engage stage four like Peter Pan. I reject tension. I won't grow up. I will never grow up. I will be a child forever. I will run away. When questions come, when doubt and uncertainty rise, I will remain firmly rooted in immaturity. This might be my favorite, the Emo Valley girl. I'm like totally freaking out. My problems are like the biggest and best in the world and everyone needs to know about them right now. In fact, I will make my problem your problem so that we can have the problem together. Oh my gosh. I like that because I think that Valley girl is me. Like I think she lives in me. <laughs> I actually think all of these voices live in me. Peter Pan's in me. The next voice is the voice that says, throw out the baby, but not the bathwater. This, this is the person who, as they come into uncertainty and doubt, they just start to jettison anything orthodox, anything meaty. They just say, I'm just spiritual, but like, I can't like prescribe to like an actual faith like a, like a Bible, like I don't do that anymore, but I'm spiritual. I believe there's a spiritual world out there. They've just stopped wrestling with the problem. Is it okay to just continue to lean in and go, man, I'm just, I have problems. Let me lean in to a text. And I, I, let me just say before we get into this last one, I, St. Augustine once said, all truth is God's truth. And I think as followers of Jesus, we just need to claim a, a lack of fear when it comes to setting people loose to go find what's true. Yes, they need help and guidance. But man, for people who are just jettisoning and saying, I'm just not going to study anymore, let's just not be afraid to throw stuff at them. If Christianity is someplace that you're struggling, let's look at some other stuff so that we've got some place to compare notes. Where is truth? Let's find it together. Oof. I like that. The last one, the Bob Ross. Here's some quotes from Bob Ross. I mean, Bob Ross generally is just going to be curious all the time. He's just going to lean in. If you don't know who this is, this is the fro guy who's the painter. He would just like make mistakes. He'd call them happy mistakes, happy accidents. But he just wouldn't care. He'd just keep painting. Like, oh, I just wonder what's going to happen next. 
I just, I just love that. Some people, as they engage stage four, I, I, I just, I think it's great when they lean in. I mean, the places in my story where I've come up to doubt and I find my inner Bob Ross instead of the Emo Valley girl coming out, right? I'm just like, huh, I just lost a tooth. Now what? Well, let's just see what happens. Like, there's a, a real beauty to that. And I just want you to know, I, I do think that Bob Ross is like a really mature response. But I also just I want you to know that there's not a response that will make God love you more. Like there's, there's not necessarily a right way to go about this. As you bump into stage four, you're going to have to be perfectly human-sized to engage it. So just be. And trust relationships, especially in stage four. You may grow suspicious of organizations and affiliations, but this is why discipleship and mentoring is such a genius and fundamental concept in Christianity and where so many churches and Christians, they just miss it. What does it look like when you're heading out of stage four? I shot a short documentary this week. Check this out. Hey, dude, what just happened? My tooth fell out. What? Let me get that close to the camera. Let's see that thing. Whoa, whoa, very close. Oh, look at that. Okay, let's see where it used to live. Where did it used to be? Oh, man, move your finger so you can see that hole. Oh, my goodness, it's like a crater on the moon. How do you feel? Did. Did it hurt as bad as you thought? Nope. Are you worried about it still? Nope. Nope? What do you think is going to happen now? It's going to grow back, <laughs> and I'm going to get money tonight. You think so? You're going to get money tonight? From who? From uh, Tooth Fairy. Tooth Fairy? All right. That's stage five. I don't know if you remember the freeze frame from the end of the last video. Stage four is just like bottom lip out. He's still got the boogers, by the way. They're still there. That's cool. Stage five is just a sense of like, I'm missing some teeth. But it doesn't really bother me. All of my kids, as they lost their first tooth, it was kind of like a thing. After that, they're just like, oh, this is like dime a dozen. Like, how much money can I get from the tooth fairy this time, you know? It just stops bothering you as much the more that you journey deeper into your questions and mystery begins to be something that you find to be a dear friend rather than a threat. We're going to talk more about that next week. I want to finish today with a prayer that was penned back in the 17th century by a Catholic bishop named Pierre Tilhard de Chardin that captures this beautifully. Let these words fall over you as a gift to be exactly as you are where you are, with a patient trust in a God who is actively at work, always forming you into what he wants you to be. Let them be a part of what ushers you into the invitation simply to say yes to whatever it is that he's doing. Patient trust by Chardin. Above all, trust the slow work of God. We're quite naturally impatient in everything to reach the end without delay. We should like to skip the intermediate stages. We're impatient of being on the way to something unknown, something new, and yet it is the law of all progress that it is made by passing through some stages of instability and that it may take a very long time. And so I think it is with you. 
your ideas mature gradually, let them grow. Let them shape themselves without undue haste. Don't try to force them on as though you could be today what time that is grace and circumstances acting on your own goodwill will make of you tomorrow. Only God could say what this new spirit gradually forming within you will be. Give our Lord the benefit of believing that his hand is leading you and accept the anxiety of feeling yourself in suspense and incomplete. God bless you.